this outline and practically start to work through it in your own life so that you can be equipped to share the gospel. So if you have a phone, a notes section, maybe you want to jot down. Uh, maybe if you're sitting next to Lindsay, who's very meticulous, elbow her and say, hey, can I have a copy of your notes? But whatever method you use, we'd suggest that you'd have kind of an, an outlay of this. We've tried to make it easy to remember. We'll see. But I would suggest that the approach to the gospel can be summed by life, love, and liberty. Life, love, and liberty. So first of all, Life. There's going to be four subpoints. Subpoints, and you can remember HGTV. What's HGTV? High definition. No, home and garden television. Lev, you ever watch Fixer Upper? It's on HGTV. Thank you, Taylor. I see that hand. So HGTV. If you're going to think about life, I would suggest that you think about HGTV. Your life is a loud trumpet. For the gospel. Now, Mike on series day one said very rightly that you cannot share the gospel without words, but you certainly can support those words, emphasize those words, preempt those words with your life. With your life. And I'd suggest to you that as you prepare to share the words of the gospel, just as importantly is that you've prepared your life for sharing the gospel. And so four quick points on this. The second point, love, FAQ. What's FAQ? Frequently asked questions. Hopefully you can remember that. And then liberty is ads. What's an ad? Google ads, Facebook ads. So the goal is that hopefully you can remember some of these. So with life, some philosopher said that our lives are the notes of the song to go along with the words of the gospel. Is that deep or what? Some good-looking philosopher came up with that this morning at 8 a.m. Can you imagine? But when you talk about HGTV, when you talk about shaping your life to communicate the gospel, I would recommend point one, humility. Humility. Take a look at Philippians 2. My hope is that this is not the, the last time you hear from Philippians 2 today. Our theme for the breaking of bread is the humility of Christ. And so my hope and my guess is that you're going to hear other comments from Philippians 2, which is excellent. But for this morning, we're just going to peek at a couple of those verses. We're going to look at verses 3 through 8. Listen to them. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in the, of others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Humility is fundamental to Christ's ministry. And humility has to govern and guide our life. You've heard, of an, you've heard of an arrogant, haughty person talk, right? Are you interested in doing what they say? Are you interested in their ideas? No way. I'm a stubborn guy. If I hear someone arrogant say something, I kind of want to do the opposite. You ever relate to that? If we're going to be effective in communicating the gospel, it's got to come from a humble way of life, a humble attitude. And I love verses 3. I don't love them. I, I, I struggle with them. But don't be selfish. 
adequate or even solid communicators of the gospel are not selfish people. Actions speak louder than words. And if I'm regularly characterized by selfishness, I won't effectively communicate the gospel. So let your life be clothed in humility. Now, you know what stinks about this message? How many of, you are, how many of us are going to walk out the door and having mastered humility? No? Well, then I guess I can't share the gospel, right? No, not the case. But as we grow in our humility, the effectiveness of sharing the gospel will increase. Christ promises that. He says that we're to have a humble attitude towards life. So humility is key for my life in communicating the gospel. Gratitude is huge. I ask my kids because I harp on them all the time about gratitude. What's your favorite verse about gratitude? And they suggested Psalm 118.1. The reason I ask is there's about 150 that we could choose from, all of them equally great. So take a look at Psalm 18.1 if you could. Psalm 18.1 is really a, a, a strong statement about gratitude. Let me be blunt. If you have a lack of gratitude in your life, if you're complaining about the weather and you're complaining about your health and you're complaining about the government and you're complaining, 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 it's too much of a whiplash to then suddenly be talking about how grateful you are about the gospel. Let's be real. People don't want to listen to complainers. When you're a grateful person, when gratitude exudes from you, that's a solid platform then for sharing the good news. My friend Mike always says, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Because all of us struggle with complaining, with negativity, with being down in the dumps. That doesn't match the gospel. You've been saved by grace through faith. If anyone has something to be grateful for, it's us. And so my level of gratitude will be a loud amplifier or a detractor to the message of the gospel. Psalm 18, 118, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. If you memorize that verse, there's about a, many, many applications that you can come to each day. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. You've got your house on the market, and it's a little slow in selling. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. You just got a promotion at, at work, and you're thrilled about it. Well, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. It's a mantra. It's a centering phrase that I think if we really took to heart and allowed that to shape our daily lives in gratitude, I think the gospel is going to come clearer. It's going to come more unhindered. Let's be real. When your mind is continually focused on negativity, it's a major leap to switch gears and share about your gratitude in the gospel, even in your own mind. When we condition ourselves for negativity, it's extra effort to turn the train around and get to the positivity. Likewise, when we are continually grateful, positive, uplifting people, then the positive note message of the gospel is, is less hindered. It can flow through us. It's at the tip of our tongue. One of the most valuable lessons of practical evangelism uh, was taught to me, and I'm trying to think, it was nine years ago by my wife. Nope, 
14 years ago when I turned 30, when I turned 30. And as I was sharing with Christy one day, I really, I really struggle. Give me some ideas of how to better share the gospel. And she said, well, one idea might be to just be open with anyone you come in contact to with, rather, about what you're thankful for. So we're very blessed that, that occasionally someone will say, boy, you really have nice kids. And I've learned to say, thank you so much. We're really grateful to the Lord for those kiddos. Why? Because A, I am. And B, instead of shielding my gratitude to the Lord, her challenge was, let it be known. Whether you're talking to the plumber or a client or a teacher, doesn't matter. I think as Christians, I think we have this mindset that we can only talk about the goodness of the Lord to fellow Christians unless we're directly sharing the gospel. Not true. Your life has been richly blessed by God. And let me tell you, when you share that with the mailman, the mailman says, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm, so, I'm really blessed today. God is good. I'm really thankful. What's he do? Okay. Doesn't hear that at every stop. I promise you that, right? Gratitude, brothers and sisters. Gratitude seeping through our lives, our hearts, our minds will make it so much easier to share the gospel, both because of others' perception and our own mentality. So gratitude is a huge factor of our life. Transparency. Look at 1 Thessalonians with me. 1 Thessalonians was a real blessing to me in the last uh, bit of time here. There are several passages you're going to recognize from 1 Thessalonians. But transparency is a really tough topic. But I'm convinced that your ease and willingness and effectiveness of sharing the gospel is going to be linked to your willingness to be a transparent person. A transparent person. Take a look at uh, what Paul has to say in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. Paul says, We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. We loved you so much we shared with you not only the good news, the gospel, but we shared with you our very lives. You see what's going on there? Too many times as Christians, I think we have this idea that sharing the gospel has to be some sort of cold, uh, outside of who we really are experience. No, no. The more transparent we can be with humility, gratitude, openness, the more effective the gospel message will ring true. Let me give you an example. Are we willing to share our struggles? When someone asks us how we're doing, when we ask someone how they're doing, there's enormous ability or there's enormous strength in being willing to be vulnerable. If someone says, I'm doing okay, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay, I'm blessed, thank you, but I'm struggling a little bit. And we open up a dialogue about how this whole COVID-19 has really tempted me to worry day in and day out, and, and yet I've been able to find some strength in the Lord. When I'm transparent like that, what does that automatically do for the listener? Oh, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. And maybe I'm willing to be vulnerable with you. Maybe I'm willing to open up a little. Again, I'll brag about her all day, but my wife is fantastic at this. If you're a friend of Christy, you know that you get the good and the bad and the ugly, right? If you ask her how she's doing, when you really get into it, you're going to hear the good. Too many times we as Christians are putting up appearances. 
and we become these plastic-faced, mask-wearing, oh, that, sorry, that struck a little close to home today, but you get where I'm going with it. We become, have a lack of transparency in our lives. People see right through it. People know when we're being fake. They know when we're unwilling to truly share our lives with them, like the Apostle Paul said he did with the Thessalonians. If we're going to be effective gospel communicators, we need to learn to be transparent. Now, Scripture also says be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we're not saying that you uh, uh, don't do a good job of protecting your family and yourself. There's discernment that's needed there, and we'll talk about that. But we can all afford to be far more transparent with those around us. We can be, afford to be far more open about some of the struggles that we've had. I've talked to many, many, many uh, high schoolers and college kids who have said, you know what, I never felt like I could talk about my doubts spiritually with my family. That's a shame. One of the things I appreciate so much about my father is that he was a genuine, transparent individual. And I never felt like he was too good for me voicing doubts or that he was unwilling to hear about my true heart. Be that kind of friend. Be that kind of father. Be that kind of brother or sister. Be that kind of mother. Be that kind of family member. Are we transparent? Are we open? I really think that that's going to amplify the gospel in a powerful way. And finally, virtue. Virtue, HGTV, transparency, and then virtue. I don't think you can adequately communicate the gospel in words if your life isn't backed by Christian virtue. And so as we take a look at 1 Thessalonians 1, it will not shock you as we read verses 4 through 10 that virtue is at the heart of the effectiveness of gospel being taught to the Thessalonians. Verse 4 of chapter 1. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. Now pause a minute. What do you think added to the assurance that what these guys were saying verbally was true? They walked the talk. They walked the talk. They didn't come only with words. They came with power through the Holy Spirit. And one of those aspects is your virtue, your holy life, your choices to not compromise no matter what the cost. The fact that each of you are obeying the governing authorities as we speak speaks volume to the virtue in your lives. And I respect you and I admire you for that even as we speak right now. That same commitment to virtue has to be there in order for me to be an effective communicator of the gospel. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result of you imitating the Lord and us, as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Did he say that you've become these eloquent speakers to all those in Greece? No, you've become an example, an example. Our virtue will determine and make or break in many ways the effectiveness of preaching the gospel. I've had people tell me, oh man, that guy says he goes to church, but he is the most shrewd, 
ungenerous person I've ever met. He is so stingy. Or this person goes to church every week, but I see him down at the local bar the, the night before. I don't respect that. Fill it in. This guy's a crook. He stole his neighbor's cows. They wandered into his yard. He clipped the tag off their ears, tried to get them right in along with the rest of his herd. I don't respect that. If our life of virtue doesn't match the message of the good news, it's a waste of breath. Let's pursue virtue as 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1 says, and add to knowledge virtue. And I think that our effectiveness through our life will go up. So life, your humility, your gratitude, your transparency, your virtue, all the foundational all the notes that are going to make the words you say that much more harmonious. But without them, we're speaking to a brick wall, so to speak. So let's take that in. The second one is love. This is not a shocker. This is a far more uh, authoritative statement than the last subheading. This is God himself saying how important love is. Take a look, John 13, verse 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Who's speaking here? Jesus Christ himself. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, says Jesus Christ. Love is the critical ingredient 1 Corinthians 13 remind us you could have the most eloquent voice, but it's a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal if your life isn't characterized, if the message isn't characterized by love. So love is critical. This first one's interesting. Love, meaning uh, one of those aspects is, are you a friend? Are you friendly? Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that it's all about uh, a certain status of relationship before you can share the gospel. But what I am saying is that many of the characteristics of friendship spoken of in the scriptures will give us hints as to what kind of demeanor and message the, that needs to be bathed in love. Now, so, uh, Proverbs 17, turn there with me. That's a great one. This would be a really good one to highlight. Very important. And then once we uh, touch on this one, we're going to look at several others very quickly, several other statements about what the scriptures have to say of friendship. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Are we faithful and loyal friends? Not really. Loyalty, I think, is at an all-time low. I really think it's very, very, very difficult to find a loyal friend. Can you agree? Can you identify with that? That's a shame because the loyalty that comes from friendship when it's rooted in the Lord Jesus is loving. And that same loyalty is going to shine through your gospel message like crazy. How many of you have an acquaintance that you've known from from college and that you've regularly and systematically continued your friendship with them. You've loyally through the distance and through the years continued that relationship. That gives you enormous credibility in their life. 
enormous credibility. That's just one of many. Listen to some of these others. Proverbs 18.24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are we reliable friends or are we flaky? Let me suggest that my flakiness contradicts the love of the gospel. And are your relationships with those in the, in the world, are they characterized by your consistency, your follow-through, your dedication to do what you said you were going to do? Or have we become flaky as a culture? I think we've got to be dedicated and reliable friends. What else do we have in the area of friendship? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, John 15, 12 through 13. This is interesting. Job 16, Job says about friends, my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out to tears to God. What does intercessor mean? Those who pray for me. Those who pray for me. Do you pray for those in your lives? Do you pray for your friends who need the gospel? Do you regularly lift them before the Lord, asking that the Lord would remove the veil, soften their hearts, and open their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ? True friends, true love desires God's best. And I can't think of a more of a better way, rather, to desire God's best than to ask him through prayer to bless this individual's life, to save this individual's life, to work in their hearts, to use me in their life. Prayer, prayer is foundational to this relationship. And one more, uh, Proverbs 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume makes the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. From his earnest counsel. One of the key ways that you can show love is to be there as a listening ear. And the Holy Spirit of God has given you wisdom that the world will never know. And God has given you earnest counsel that you can share with those around you. And so even before you get to the, the uh, Romans road, even before you get to starting to, to talk about the cross and what Christ has done for John, if John knows you well enough and you've listened to John well enough to where you've been able to share your heartfelt earnest counsel, that's an incredible advantage, an incredible blessing then for having credibility when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are we exhibiting these characteristics of a friend? Are we showing this faithfulness, this lack of flakiness, this commitment, this loyalty, this wisdom? All of these friend qualities that we see through Scripture are critical for sharing the good news effectively in the lives of those around us. Now, friend Lee, let's be real. No one likes a grump, right? And so even if it's a smile to the person next to you pumping gas, my kids get so irritated with me. Dad, don't be so friendly to those people. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's awkward. Well, I'm sorry, but that's how Christ has called us. He wants us to be friendly. Now, they're just as friendly, so I don't know why they have a problem when I do it. They're just as smiley and friendly, but we need to be friendly people. And I think that these days especially, a smile in the grocery store, a pleasant nod at the gas pump, people need that. People need that. People need encouragement at every turn. Even if that's my only interaction with them for the rest of their life, 
Will I bless them with a little friendliness? Will God use that small seed of friendliness and follow it up with the believer's sharing of the gospel three months, three years, three decades later? One of my most encouraging stories of evangelism is my wife and I were blessed to do a Bible study in the book of John in our living room with these teenagers, rough and tough teenagers, and every single week for a year, and finally they just quit. And I was so discouraged. I was so bummed. Two years later, I run into Riley Miller, and I said, what's happening, Riley? He said, well, I just was so excited. These two teenagers just came to receive the Lord as their Savior. Who was it? This guy named Jordan and this guy named Tim. Jordan and Tim. And it was the same guys. It was the same guys that God had used somebody else literally a year or two later to back up and reinforce all of the seeds that were sown in the living room based on John. You might not harvest, so to speak, the gospel. You might not see the Lord open their eyes, but you are sowing seeds, and I'm convinced that your friendliness, when you walk out this door, the smile on your face, I'm convinced is sowing seeds that can later be used by the Lord. My attitude, my attitude is critical, and I have to have an attitude of love. Look back at 1 Thessalonians, I'm telling you, this is a great book, a great chapter, a great series there. Thessalonians 2 again, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly uh, we had been treated in Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to de declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For, as speak, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of the hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. Do you hear all the attitude connections there? Make a note of that. Look back at them. Flattery. We've become really good at saying nice things and having no sincerity at all. That's flattery. That's not true friendship. That's not an attitude that will be well resulting in evangelism. My attitude matters. And the attitude that I have is critical to whether I'll be an effective communicator of the gospel. I was challenged by a dear friend that too many times we view people as projects as opposed to true friendships and relationships. Do you think someone sees through when you're just ministering to them as a project? <sighs> Glaring clarity. Glaring clarity. If our attitude is anything but sincere relationship, I think it's back to that clanging gong and sounding cymbal. And we as Christians oftentimes have been really guilty about having projects as people instead of taking the time and effort to really build true love and true relationship with individuals. And so whether that's flattery, whether that's uh, false motives, as 1 Thessalonians says, or whether that's impure or deceitful motives, I'm smiling like this, but then I'm going to turn around and talk bad about how dirty sinner you are later. 
it doesn't work. It doesn't work. My attitude is critical. And if my true, sincere attitude is love when I relate, then the gospel has a clearer opportunity. Questions. Questions. I think questions are an incredibly loving way to communicate. Why? Because a question says, let me start by deferring to your thoughts on this matter, right? Jesus used questions all the time. Remember last week when Mike was speaking and he showed us the rich young ruler, Mark 10, verse 18, and kind of this hypocrite comes to Jesus and says, oh, what must I do to be saved, good teacher? And Jesus, instead of blasting him, saying, you're a phony, you're one of the stingiest people in the whole area. Instead, he asks him a question. Why do you call me good? He asks a question. Questions can be gentle. Questions can be helpful. If we truly love other people, we're going to ask them questions about themselves. Again, some of the best examples to me are people that are so caring that they're always asking questions. How are you doing today? What's going on in your life? What can I pray for you with? What are the different thoughts you've been having, right? And as these questions develop, you're going to see a roadmap, my friends. As they share answers to your questions, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to make very clear how and what approach you share the gospel with them. Does that make sense? Lead with questions. Questions are loving. Now, again, my kids are sick of questions because they know what my intention is. You ever get that, right? But at the same time, as parents, one of the most loving things I can do is take time to, hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? What are some of the thoughts you've had today? Well, I think with unsaved people, we need that same approach. Will we lovingly ask enough questions and listen to where we can truly get to know where they're at? Those then become hooks on the wall, so to speak where the gospel can be carefully uh, draped or laid out and allow them to connect in their heart with what they're feeling, what they're going through, what they're dealing with. So questions, questions. And as I wrap up, I want to just touch on this, and, and uh, maybe the uh, team next week would allow me to touch a little bit more on this. But I think if our life is characterized by humility, gratitude, transparency, and virtue, and the love that we show through being friend, true friends and friendly, uh, having the right attitude of love and sincerity, by being caring enough to ask questions and truly listen, then I think we can have an enormous liberty. An enormous liberty for sharing the good news. A couple of uh, just quick Google definitions. Liberty means that I'm allowed or entitled to do something. Uh, permission especially to go freely. And I want us to know that too many times we are holding ourselves back. We are holding ourselves captive. We don't give ourselves liberty to share the good news. Well, I'm going to say the wrong thing or it's going to be the wrong time. You know what? I want to start next week, if Michael allow, I want to start next week with three quick points of how we can feel great liberty in sharing the gospel. And I'll tell you, it's a great start that if my life my humility, gratitude, transparency, and virtue, my love, I'm a true friend, I'm friendly, I have the right attitude, I ask questions. When that characterizes you and that characterizes me, then I think we can have enormous liberty to then share the good news. There's more points to it, but I've been long-winded, and so we'll need to close and finish next week. Father, we thank you so much that your gospel is clear, your gospel is loving, your gospel is 
is uh, readily available. And Father, I don't know why, but you've chosen to use us as your mouthpiece, as your tools, as your communicators of that gospel. Father, we don't have to say it more than once, but you, uh, you know that we failed you in this. You know that we need to be better stewards of the gospel. And so I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts. I pray that you'd uh, really be, be convicting us and directing us of, of how our life and how our love can improve. Father, that that would bring great liberty even this week to share the good news. Father, we're excited to continue with more practical thoughts next Sunday. Pray that you'd use this time in the meantime to prepare our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.